Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Pep, man, great to see you again. It's been a while since we've recorded in between our last session and this second of this series, but man, it's just so good. We were talking just now as we were getting ready for this, how lovely it is to be able to have access through Zoom to connect with each other on a regular basis, just really. really you know, some, sometime what we should do is just show up with no agenda and hit record and let that be our <laughs> podcast. Yeah. I mean. Oh, my God. <laughs> we, we, might... we, would have, we, would have, we would have so much fun at Amy's expense. <laughs> I mean, I think we should do that. Like, I think we should have, think about having an episode every series. Which, which is just, just it's just you know, ad lib. It, it is, um, I think it does sort of show an element of our relationship that you don't yeah. fully see in the podcast. Right. Um, right. You know, the fact that we don't really like each other that much. We put on this face here <laughs> once we start recording is part of it. Oh, oh is that not what we're doing? Of- I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I thought that's what we were doing all this time. Darn it. Wrong again. <laughs> 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 there is part of me that though thinks that that might be a good idea. It's just you know sometimes yeah. those things get. Um, I mean that's kind of our personal time too and our private time that I think is important for us to have. But yeah. you know it's, it's worth exploring. So today we are in episode two of this season of the Being Known podcast, and today's episode is entitled "The Word of God, the Presence of Wisdom, and the Wisdom of Presence." Which with a subtitle of consciousness. Yeah. Explain that to us, Kurt. So this series, we're talking about the beauty of wisdom. That's our overarching theme. And we are using the what our listeners have maybe become familiar with. If you're new to the podcast, we talk about in, in the realm of interpersonal neurobiology, we talk about these nine domains of how the mind functions and we're using that template, we're using those nine domains as a template to kind of be our guide as we talk about wisdom. But all that is sitting on top of a biblical narrative. Of, well, that's that's our ultimate source of what we mean to be people of wisdom. And how does that get reflected in the way our brains work? How does it get reflected in our relationships? What does it mean? What, is it, what does life look like when we're not being wise? How does that affect things? Because I think like we said in our first episode, in our introductory episode that, you know, we, I don't think we know people who would wake up and say, no, I want to be uh, more foolish by the end of the day. I think we are people who want to be wise. And so we also talked in our introductory remark about, uh, which we'll talk a little bit about here in just a moment, this, this notion that we're going to uh, not just use the nine domains of integration as a template, but we're also using the biblical narrative in the Bible as it is meant to be approached, the Bible as it is meant to be approached on its own terms, and we'll come back to that in just a moment as well. But we would we would say that wisdom, when we talk about uh, that wisdom is something that the scriptures talk about wisdom being at the beginning, right? At the beginning when, when the world was being formed, which we'll talk a little bit about, it, it's important to know that wisdom isn't just something that just shows up. We just, it's not self-evident. It is it's a, it's a product that, that when we talk about the scriptures and wisdom, that wisdom came at a particular time, in a particular people, in a particular experience. It's not 
just self-evident. I don't just go out my front porch and their wisdom is and I recognize it. It is a thing that we have to acquire. It is a thing that we have to work at achieving, at, at becoming. And one of the ways that we are beginning to talk about it today this, in, in, this, in this episode is this notion of consciousness, that if I'm going to be conscious, and by conscious, I don't just mean that I'm awake, but that I am actually alert and I'm attuned to things. I'm paying attention to more than just the fact that I'm eating my meal. I'm actually paying attention to how the food tastes. I'm not just having a conversation with you. I'm actually paying attention to the conversation that we're having while we have it. We are present to it. I'm attuning to this. And we would say that wisdom for us begins in the way that it gets reflected even in the scriptures, that when you read the first two verses of the first page of the Bible, we see that we're beginning before the beginning because the spirit of God we find in the, and when we say before the beginning, there was, there was this spirit of wisdom and that was with God before the creation and then it shows up. And that in that verse, it says that the spirit of God hovered over the deep and the chaos. It was present. And what's interesting about this when it comes to the Jewish, the Hebrew notion of creation, it's unlike other cultures around it, those ancient Middle Eastern cultures, all those cultures had creation narratives in which the God that eventually ended up making people first had to go to war against the elements and defeat the elements. But the Spirit of God doesn't go to war. The Spirit of God hovers The Spirit of God does not commit violence. The Spirit of God hovered over the deep and the chaos. And it's present with the chaos. And this is one of our our first tasks as as humans, even developmentally, that, that parents, when newborns come into the world, parents are present with little ones. We are present with them. Now, first of all, we're, you know, and we're present, and then we respond to all the things that they need responses to, but the degree to which we are present, how are we mindful of that, is, is a big deal. If I'm just reacting to the child, the child's upset, and so I get upset at the child because the child's upset and it's inconvenient to me, that's not being, being very present to the child. And in the same way, if I'm that child to whom my parents weren't very present, then I don't learn how to be present to myself. And if I can't be present to myself, I can't be present with others. When we read the eighth chapter of Proverbs, we read wisdom speaks and says that wisdom was present with God before the creation. And that whole notion from the very beginning is that wisdom is in that, in those lines, declaring the benefit of being present. And present to someone, with someone, necessarily implies relationship. That wisdom isn't just this thing that I acquire, like, oh, I have my I, I have my particular favorite coffee mug or whatever. It is a thing that I experience in relationship with someone else. That wisdom is it is practically it is it is meaningful because of relationships. And so this also, as it turns out, reminds us of what we call the conscious domain of integration in the field of interpersonal neurobiology, this notion that as human beings, for us to function well, we first have to be awake, literally, and then we have to be alert to things. I actually have to be alert to walking down the stairs or the cars that are coming before I cross the street. 
but I also have to be attuned. And we are often awake and often alert. We're, we have a not-so-easy time being attuned because attuned to what? Am I attuned to what other people are sensing and imaging and feeling and thinking? Well, I can't do that very well if I have not myself had the opportunity for someone to be attuned to me so as to usher me into what that feels like, usher me into what that experience is like so that I can then go on and replicate that. It's like I can't really know much about what it means to play the piano with feeling if I haven't actually had much experience being with someone, watching that, experiencing Mm -hmm. that. I can't just like read about it, having never actually experienced it and then expect myself to somehow be able to do that. And relationships are not unlike that. We need to be awake, alert, and attuned. And this has to do with what we have in other episodes. We've talked about the tripod of awareness, that if I'm going to be aware of things, I first need to be open to all kinds of things that I sense and image and feel and think, not just aware of things that are open to things that are outside my skin, but things that I'm open to, like, what do I do if I find myself feeling angry? Well, if I grew up in a house where I wasn't allowed to be angry, I then I'm not even open to that. So I work really hard to bury that for many, many years, only to find it exploding in my marriage or exploding in the workplace, or I'm drinking too much, or I'm looking at pornography, or all kinds of things to take care of the fact that I'm not open to things that are true about me. And then I want to observe those things. Initially, if I'm going to be open to my anger, the first thing I might say is, oh, I'm angry, but I shouldn't be. I'm going to condemn myself for even feeling it. Rather than saying, oh, wait a minute, I want to observe that. I want to be curious about that, not condemning. I want to be curious. And the more curious I am, then the more objective. I can see more of the entirety of my story. I understand more of who I really am. So I'm going to be open, observant, and objective. First to ourselves, but I need practice with help from other people, and then to the world around us. I want to be able to sense, image, feel, think, and know what I want to do with my body. We'll get to that body part in our next episode, but this acronym of SIFTB, S-I-F-T-B, to sense, image, feel, and think, and then what I want to do with my body, with my behavior. But I also want to be aware of the eight ways in which I sense the world. Now, people have often... We've talked a little bit about this before, but people are, oh, I know the five senses, the things that come to me from outside the world, what I taste and see and hear and feel and and touch. But I also then notice that I have an internal sixth sense. I sense things inside my body. And that sixth sense is followed by a seventh sense. That seventh sense is I can sense that I'm sensing things. I don't just sense the tabletop where my hand is, I'm actually able to be aware that I am sensing it. I'm actually paying attention to what I'm sensing. That's a level of sensation that we believe that most other mammals are not thinking about. They're not sensing that they're sensing things. And that then leads to our ability to sense what other people are sensing, that eighth sense in the world. I can sense that you're sad. I can sense that you are upset about something. I can sense that you're joyful. I can sense that you're tense and so forth and so on. And in this way, we are being conscious of, we are being aware, we are being hovering like the spirit of God. And then we see that, and then God said, those first two verses are God's spirit, God making the world, God, Elohim, making the world, and then God's spirit hovers. And then what does the Spirit do? God speaks. God doesn't come with an army. God doesn't come with violence. God speaks. 
and his word, this speaking, is an extension of his presence. Not something separate from it. It's not like, well, first I'm thinking and sensing, and then I'm going to speak, and speaking is different. It's just an extension of it. And we would ask ourselves the question, in what ways are our speech, our words, extensions of who we are? Wisdom is the offering of extensions of who we are. I'm not, it's not something separate from me. It is me. My words, hopefully, will be an extension of who I am. Now, the problem, of course, especially in my own kitchen. <laughs> well, yeah, so I think, I think wisdom is, is the extent, you know, it's also what you choose not to say. Right. You know, you, right? <clears throat> I mean, of course, your words, ref, you know, hopefully are an extension of your wisdom, but there's that also that the wisdom to know when to zip it. There's another T-shirt right. for you, by the way. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Wisdom, dot dot dot, on the back. Know when to zip it, <laughs> dude. Dude, we got we got to get this marketing plan on we the do. road. It's time. <laughs> yeah. So there, there is that that exactly that sense. Of, but 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 I'm I'm only able to know when to zip it by virtue of being present to the moment. And if this, if, if this is an, a, a, like an expression of my attention to things, it's also an expression of my intention. God's intention is not just to be present, but his intention is to give order and purpose to the chaos that is there and present in the first, on the first page of the Bible. And his words were few, but powerful. And there's another thing for us to be curious about. In what way do we imagine practicing being able to be present by using a greater economy of language, a greater economy of words? How do we do that? By Even to the point where we zip it, even to the point where we say nothing. But how are we able to actually be wisdom by saying less? You know, it's, it's often said that if you are going to write something, if you're given, you know, if you're, if you're a columnist for a paper, you know, you get about, what, 1,600 words, maybe, 15, 1,600 words. You don't have much space, and it takes more work. I think about you when you're creating lines, right? I mean, when, you, when, you, when you're creating a screenplay or when you're writing a sketch or when you're thinking about a program, like, you got all this talent and you got, like, I mean, how are you, you know, how are you going to, like, package that in such a way that, well, you know, I'll say I will say that one great example of this is comedy. Yeah, um, you know, the best jokes have used the most use very much. How do I say it? the economy of words? Right. Mm, mm, the, mm, every word mm. that isn't leading to the to the punchline, every word that doesn't get you there needs to come out. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so the best jokes are really every word is so purposeful, and it's yeah. much more about what's not there. Mm-hmm. Than what's there, right? Yeah, right. Well, it's interesting, like because even in the creation narrative, we see. I mean, <laughs> we we trust it's not a, a comedy routine, but there is right. a sense in which God is both attuned to the broad landscape of what's before Him, but He is simultaneously attuned to the moment that is specifically in front of Him. Wisdom requires us to be moving back and forth between our awareness, our presence of the room. 
and our presence of the particular person with whom we are having the conversation in the middle of the room. If we're parents and we're having a conversation with one of our children at the dinner table, I may be talking with Sam at the dinner table, but I'm talking with Sam in front of Sarah and Alex with my wife being present and so forth. And so like, how do I wisely navigate being present both to the broader landscape and to that particularity? I'm only able to do that if I have people who are doing the same thing for me, toward me, the broader landscape of my story, but the particular thing that we're talking about right here and now. And that's what God was doing in that space. And wisdom was in the business of creating beauty out of chaos. There was this movement toward integration, we would say. And it took time. Movement that took place over the course of six days and then a seventh day he rested. You know, like it wasn't instantaneous. Why, why don't the Hebrews write and say, and God created the world and there it was, boom, just instantaneously. It is a recognition that wisdom is both present and it has to be acquired. It's beautifully emerging, but it is never complete. We never get to the benchmark. We say, yes, now I am wise. Yeah, and it's, it's such a long process to even get to the point where you're, you, you're approaching wisdom, right? Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, and I, I don't want to jump ahead, but I, I know we're going to be talking about some of Mako Fujimara's art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he talks about this slow beauty, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, because the process that he that he does starts with crushing minerals and and then you do it in layers and it takes forever for that to dry and you're you know he talks about literally a lot of his art is sitting around waiting for paint to dry you know right. it's this slow slow process until he can reach that beauty yeah. right yeah right If you've been around the Being Known podcast for more than just this season, then you already know about our friends Jay and Catherine Wolf and their ministry, Hope Heals Camp. Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat, a year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And Kurt has firsthand knowledge of Hope Heals Camp as he's been there and experienced it for himself. You know, Pep, I... Did have the chance last summer to spend a week there. I was invited to be a pastor for the campers, and I can't tell you how deeply moved I was at watching how much love and joy and commitment to one another was coming to be demonstrated in the places where some of uh, life's hardest moments show up and watch God show up in the process. There is so much beauty and goodness coming out of Hope Hill's camp, and this season, we are really excited to endeavor to sponsor five families for Hope Heals Camp in this summer. And by we, I of course mean you. If you're listening in this moment, wherever you are, you are our we. So mm -hmm. five families is equal to $7,500. And, you know, that would be a dollar each if we had 7,500 we's, which, <laughs> which hopefully we do have. And you know, if you give $50, you'll gain free access to the best of Catherine and Jay's online content condensed into accessible video modules and simple reflection guides. 
You can join Catherine Jay and their most trusted partners for refreshing biblical insights on living well within constraints, all from your own home and at your own pace. Or if you're feeling even more generous and you give $1,500, now that's enough to send a whole family to camp for the week, you will receive all that Kurt just mentioned, as well as a limited edition signed and numbered fine art print by the artist Kristen Blakeney. Kristen's paintings sell out across the South's best art galleries, and this print is only available here. We'll keep you updated on the progress of this drive via the podcast as we are able to, and certainly on our social media outlets. So go to hopeheals.com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP to make your donation. And, you know, I think as we are, you know, we're, we are in a time and space, Pep, where everything feels so urgent. There's a lot that feels urgent. Mm. And, you know, I think about the, ur- and the, the list is endless, both in our personal lives mm-hmm. and in the larger cultural landscape we look around, no matter where we are in, in the spectrum of, you know, in, in, in the West, in the U.S. in particular, there's an urgency. And with greater urgency, there is this greater felt sense of, I need to be wise now. I need to have the whole kit and caboodle. All of it. Like the whole notion of, you know, waiting for paint to dry. Right. Like, it only makes me feel more urgent. It only makes me feel more anxious. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where it's really important for us to have another person in our life who can sit with our urgency, look us in the eye and say, Pep, I'm not worried about you. I just, I just want you to know, I, I just, I love you where you are right now. We're good. You're good. We're good. And wisdom begins again. It begins before the creation of the world. It begins with this presence of being with God and God's Trinitarian celebratory relational, yeah. you know, love offering relationship. He's not just like in, he's not just present with us. Like the chair is present with us in the room. I like my chair. My chair has never offered me personally much. Doesn't come out and say, oh, Kurt, like, I'm so glad for you to sit with me. No. I mean, I, I, I still, I, okay. I still remember that fateful night of walking down the hotel hallway with you, with, with me. In trying the beginning, to st- there was Kurt. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think like, I'm like, I'm trying to stay upright trying to stay upright from laughter, from, you know, from killing over. And I think there, there, there was the part of me that is thinking to myself, is Pepper going to think I'm a whack job because I'm not just walking down the hallway? Oh, that's funny. Like, no, I could barely stand up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, he's going to think there's something, like, this dude takes care of patients? Like, like how do, the, like, how, why do people pay him money? Like, this is ridiculous. And so, at the same time that I'm laughing, I'm also just aware of your being willing to be present with what, to me, felt like a certain degree of ridiculousness on my part. <laughs> yeah, like, you're laughing at me, oh, yeah, right? Like, no, like I'm now. laughing with you like I was that <laughs> night, truly. And I, you know, there's this beautiful thing that, that, you know, so God was in relationship as he hovered over the chaos hmm. Um, hmm. and the wisdom comes out of relationship as, as hmm. you know, you're, you're talking about here. 
And this time that we're feeling everything so urgent, you know, there's never, I mean, you know, people probably over the years have always said this, but to me, there's never been a time that needs wisdom more than now, Mm. or at Mm. least that feeling. And so, so the work that we need to do to be present with others, Mm. to be on our journey towards wisdom in order to Mm -hmm. face the chaos, Mm -hmm. you know, that we're all facing, you know. Uh, or I should speak for myself here that I, that I face every day, you yeah, know, um, right. comes back to to starts with being known and being in right. relationship. Yeah, yeah, right on, right on. Well, you know, it's it's, it's striking then because when we talk about this notion of of presence, you know, in God's creative act, we then get to this what we would call this culminating and crowning act that we read about in Genesis one twenty six when God decides that he is going to create an image of his of himself. It's going to be his word. At first, it's his word is an extension. Let there be light, let the land separate from the sea. That, that word is an extension. And now, as it turns out, we become his word hmm. on the planet. We become his image bearers and will... And 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 in and we'll we'll talk in our next in our next episode about what that means to be his image bearers. But in this sense, in Genesis one twenty six, let us create mankind, let us create humankind in our image, and then let them steward the earth, let them be our representatives. That's what he's really saying. Let let us let us let us be on the earth, and let them be us hmm. on the earth. Let them be for the earth who we are. And so then we see that wisdom begets wisdom in embodied fashion. It starts, it's, not, it's not just this abstract thing. And because it's relational, let us make mankind, humankind in our image, in our image. It, we recognize that this is primarily relational, that wisdom is a relational dynamism. It is not just this static thing that I acquire like gold or silver or platinum or money or houses or things. It's a a thing that I I acquire. It is a thing that is happening, always happening between me and someone else in relationship. And what that means is that when we are, when I'm, if we, if any of us are pursuing hard after wisdom, like that eighth chapter of Proverbs, like invites us to do we open the door for others to pursue wisdom as well. We become that portal through which others can walk into places of wisdom. Now, of course, you know, we live in the real world and that means that we have trauma and shame that disrupts this whole process. And so it makes it really difficult for us to be present to others uh, because I'm prone to live protectively in either the past or the future, right? I'm, 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 I'm like, I have experiences from the past that shape my anticipation of the future. I was talking to another friend recently and I said like, I, I, I wasn't aware that I was doing this developmentally growing up, but I, I became aware of like, oh my gosh, I like what I have is a very thick, almost velvet covering on the outside of me. This is kind of, I think what I was as a kid growing up and as a young adult that I think was, I think for the most part, you know, people liked me and I, 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 I loved being with people and so forth. But that velvet covered, fairly resilient titanium, you know, inner set of armor 
And there was always then this sense, right? I, I love the notion of wisdom. I love the notion of connection and relationship. And as soon as somebody got too close, got close enough to the armor, hmm. then I started to worry that this is going to start to feel too much like my mom or my dad or some combination therein, where I'm going to get consumed in this relationship. I'm not, I, I'm like, some, something is not, now it's not like I knew this, but this is kind of how I would behave. And so trauma does this to us. And so this means that it's all the more reason for us to recall that for us to acquire wisdom and to be present, we have to address that trauma and shame. And this is where we get back to um, one of the things that we talked about in the opening episode is this idea of literature. And there's a couple extra things that I'm adding to it. We, we talk about these, this, this literature of the scriptures that it is God, well, what, what the folks at the Bible Project like to talk about, kudos to them, this notion that it's God to human breathe. It's this combination, which as it turns out is how we would say we are, right? We are God's fingerprints. We are his image on the earth. We are to be his image to the earth and to each other. We are to reflect him to each other. My trauma makes it hard for me to do that. So it's, it's a God-human project. And so to be present, I want to be aware that, like, I'm not just me. Like, I am, I'm an image bearer. And as my friend Andy Crouch likes to say, you know, he, he talks about how when he was in the Chicago on O'Hare Airport once, he, he's going for a long walk in the airport in between flights, and he just started to say, he, as he would pass people, he would say, image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. And when we start to pay attention that this is a God-human enterprise, if we are present to that, it changes our awareness of things. That it is that the text that the scriptures are God-human, they are ancient, they're old. We have old parts of our stories that have formed who we are. We have to be present to that. We have to be present to what it was like growing up in our particular house. That it's Jewish, it wasn't. Sumerian, it wasn't Egyptian, it was a particular story that we have, that it is meditative, that the, the scriptures are meditative, we, we go over them and over them and over them, and our stories are ones that are constantly being cultivated toward wisdom, and it's literature, it's artistic. We are works of art. This is, and, and in this sense, this acquisition and becoming becoming wisdom is an artistic endeavor, which we've talked about here. This notion of being known, how wisdom is acquired and is un unveiled as a piece of artwork deeply takes place in the course of the process of being known by others, which is, again, I just get back to like just how grateful I am for you and me and for Amy and for how this relationship makes that possible makes it possible. I think that, you know, this idea of, you know, we, all of us, are works of art, if we can really internalize that and accept that as truth, it's kind of a game changer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, right. We would start treating ourselves and others a lot differently if we could really accept that as reality. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, when you hear artists themselves talk about this. It's, it's not an uncommon thing to 
uh, or at least I've, I've, I've heard artists often talk about how challenging it is for them at times to feel like they can take themselves seriously mm. because they're not really sure that their art is good enough or, you know, am I, am I able to call myself an artist? Am I, do I have to you know, be somebody who sells pieces for, you know, thousands of dollars before I can be validated or is it, am, am I good enough? To, all those kinds of questions. And, and these are, and these are for people who like actually are artists. You will hear them talk about, you know, the self-doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Or is that imposter syndrome? I mean, yeah. I think so, well, I can, so many of us, no matter if you're an artist or not, I mean, that's so common. Right. Yeah. right. But I mean, there's, there's a sense in which, like, I, I would think like, even as an actor, like how many people, like in your profession, like you, you, you're, you're paid to be other people other than who you are. And like, you wonder like, well, am I, am I really good enough to do this? Am, yeah. You know, like I'm, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking like what was going through your mind in that moment when Burt Reynolds comes and finds you and says, hey. Yeah, you want to turn around and say, who are you, who are you talking to? You know, and, and, you know, and in time, you know, someone like you say that, that's, a, that's a, a real artist that has these same feelings, that's accomplished, and everyone, of course, would say, oh, Mike, you're, you're so talented. And, you know, I, I think that they, they get to a place where, you know, the ones that I've talked to, kind of, you know, they still have those self-doubts and those things, am, am I really, am, you know, am I an imposter? Is this, you know, but then they, mm -hmm. they, you kind of shake it off occasionally and say, well, stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think it is a constant battle for people. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, I, and again, I think therein we would say what's really necessary is for us to have as much practice as possible, being in the presence of others. P yep. Yep. By whom we're being known. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When so, you said, um, just, just quickly, when you said earlier, you said you were giving an example of, of this and you were saying things about, about how, about me and about, it was very, it was just positive. Like, I can just tell you that, that I felt that. Mm, I mean, mm, I. Mm, good. I'm it, glad. It changed something in the room for me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it just. Yeah. 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 Right on. Right on. Well, and I, I mean for it too. I wanted to, because I want to be like, I want to be more connected to you at the end of this recording than I was 40 minutes ago. Right. Or just, yeah. Uh, I'm just going to talk about an artistic piece and then yep. we'll, and then, then an application real quick. Okay. Um, you know, we've, we've mentioned the, the work of Mako Fujimura here, a friend of ours whose work has been highly influential for, for me and for, for many people and, and both his artistic work, but also his, he's got a, cut, a couple of books out most recently, Art and Faith. Mm -hmm. Uh, that we would commend. And one of the things that he has to be in his work of Nyonga, this, this, this art form, this Japanese art form that you referred to, is that he has to simply be present to the process. And when you think about all that pulverization, all that crushing, all the mixing, all then very, you know, you, you can't do it haphazardly. You can even though when at first you look at his paintings and you're like, you know, it's, I don't know what that is. It's, is. Is it a horse? Is it? A, it looks. You know, it's like Jackson Pollock, right? I mean, like, mm -hmm. what was that? The guy just like spinning around with a bunch of, you know, whatever paint flying off. But I think this is an example of how we are able to practice being present. Being present with one of his pieces, for instance, like the Tears of Christ. If you were, if our audience were to look up on the internet, the Tears of Christ, you come to find that that. Being present with that peace evokes things within us that we otherwise 
may not be able to, to access. And this is the first step to becoming people of wisdom. It is being present. It is being conscious. It's being awake, alert, and attuned, such that I can then take the next step, which we're going to be talking about in our next episode, of being awake, alert, and attuned to what's happening in my body. And how does my body then become an expression of these things that I long to be an expression of, namely wisdom. I want to be living, breathing, pulsating wisdom in my world that feels so desperate and where things feel so urgent. Hmm. So one of the applications that we would invite you to consider doing is just this, number one, just practice attuning once again to these, we have this acronym, SIFT-B, what I sense, image, feel, think, and how I'm going to behave. We can practice that a couple times a day. Just pause and be curious about what am I sensing at this moment? Again, the moment itself is less important than that I'm practicing being attuned to that. You can also practice being attuned to the eight senses that we've listed before and notice what ways you are or are not being with whomever you're considering. Notice, am I with and present with the people that are sitting at my dinner table? Am I with the people that I'm at work with? Am I with my students? Am I with my employees, my employer, my friends, my neighbors? Am I with this person? Am I just listening to the conversation? Am I just in a conversation at Starbucks with my friend? Or I'm actually with my friend, hovering, being curious, not at the ready to fix their problems, but I'm going to be God's representative. I'm going to be like God, like God was on the first page of the Bible. So those are some things for us to think about. That's great. You know, I would add to that the, the, the idea of being with and uh, being present and not just thinking, can I solve this person's problems, but actually, you know, not thinking about your own problems and not even really being present at all, which I have been guilty of at times where, right? Um, yeah. Thank you, Kurt. This has been really time well spent. I appreciate you so much. And Right back uh, at you, brother. And I feel wiser every time that we're together. <laughs> Take that as you will. Okay. All right. <laughs> Until next time, Kurt. If you are watching on YouTube, Amy's going to be joining us here in just a couple of seconds. So stay tuned for that. Right on. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.